Welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for the August 7, 2022 session focusing on Isaiah 1, verses 1 through 20, Making God Angry. I'm David Cassidy. I'm Nikki Hardiman. I'm Burt Montgomery. And I'm David Adams. Even though each of us is a bit distant, not too far, but a bit distant from our adolescence, I'm curious, uh, was your adolescence a rebellious one? And if so, explain, or not. <laughs> my, my parents, um, thankfully, have forgiven me, but yes, um, <laughs> I, I made their life awful. I, I, I Look, I was born in 68, but I wanted, it's from the time I was born, my entire, even as a kid, was I should have been a teenager or a young adult in 68. I wanted long hair. I wanted to be marching in the streets. I wanted to be, you know, touring, following the Grateful Dead around, all that stuff. So I was a nightmare to my very nice, polite Mississippi white middle-class parents um, who knew all those things were evil. Yeah. Ozzy Osbourne. Hey, man, I had that stuff all over my wall. My <laughs> uncle was convinced I was going to hell. Yes. <laughs> see, I see that question. I say, well, yes, yes, I am. <laughs> but when I was younger, you know, I was, I was doing the good kid stuff. I was in Boy Scouts and went to church every Sunday and sang in the choir and, you know, did those kinds of good person things. So it wasn't very exciting. It's more exciting now. <laughs> You're more rebellious now than you were then? I, I would think so. <laughs> well, believe it or not, um, relative to the general population, no, I wasn't a rebellious teen. Um, rel it. Relative to my brother and sister, I probably was. Um, but no, I did, you know, I talked back and did things like that, but... I never snuck out of the house or did anything like that. Um, I like David Adams. Um, I am much more rebellious now than I ever was as a teenager, <laughs> to be sure. And so I'm, I'm going to echo what Adams and, and Nikki said. I mean, I, w I was not a difficult teenager. I mean, I had my moments for sure. But overall, I was I was pretty much a rule follower and, you know, I got along. But now I'm, I'm far more rebellious than <laughs> I was then, <laughs> which is an interesting thing to think about because um, we, you know, we have this stereotype of the rebellious teenager, but it's not necessarily specific to a certain uh, age, right? Nope. Yeah. Thank goodness. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Listen, I've known some, I've known some senior adults who will uh, compete with any of the teenagers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And, and as someone who's been rebellious my whole life, I'm just glad that y'all have joined me in the fold. Yes, it's good <laughs> to be with you. You've been a great guide, Bert. <laughs> well, the passage we have today includes a rebellious people, perhaps, and an angry God. So, David, would you help us get a start at this conversation? Sure. When the lights go down in the city and the sun shines on the bay, I sometimes think about the various things in my life that I liked at one time, but have since become irritating. You probably have some of those things too. The internet has made things available anytime you call, anytime at all. And that means that it is going to fill your life with any number of things that have worn out their welcome. At this point, if you're one of the many people who has found yourself getting increasingly annoyed by certain things, don't stop believing, but hold on to that feeling. 
Now, I sometimes enjoy watching the video Pork and Beans by Weezer because it is chock full of internet memes that have outworn their welcome. By the time you get to the end of it, there's a whole room full of people doing things that you either forgot you ever saw or wish you hadn't, even though at the time they seemed amusing. If nothing else, it's a good reminder of how many things seem to pass through our lives these days, hopefully never to be thought of again. There's a reason why, even though I still know how to dance the Macarena, no one wants to do that anymore. No one does Baby Shark very much these days. And if you've missed out on Badger Badger or the Hamster Dance, have you really missed out on all that much? More seriously, there are a lot of things that we're tired of. We're so tired of them that we're even tired about talking about how tired they're making us. You know the litany. COVID, climate change, racism, shootings, political turmoil, the courts, inflation, war, violence. It just goes on and on. If you're not stressed out over one or most of these things, you're likely not paying attention to much anymore. And it's hard to blame you for checking out when that's all we're getting and we're all getting ground down. All this is to say that the first chapter of Isaiah has some very interesting parallels to our situation. The land has been invaded. The politics of the day are worthless. There seems to be no future. Yet despite all this, people still don't seem to be picking up what God is laying down, to the point where God is asking how many more beatings it's going to take before they get it. In the middle of it all, the religious leadership of the country shows itself to be completely out of touch. Instead of ensuring that the land is strongly rooted in ethical behavior and holy pursuits, it has become a mere shell of itself substituting flashy worship services for the kind of action that God demands. Small wonder, then, that God is so dismissive of these services. It's as if every bad meme about what it means to be religious has landed in God's inbox, and God is saying in the words of Weird Al Yankovic, stop forwarding that crap to me. I love how Isaiah goes beyond merely expressing God's disapproval of the religious trappings of the day, and just ask outright, who asked for this? We can look at this as a question of, what purpose does this serve? But I like the larger implications that God is saying that the things that the so-called faithful of that day were doing were nothing like what God wanted them to do. They were what people wanted to do in order to feel more religious. Accordingly, they were not helping anyone and were, in most cases, making things worse. Isn't that where we are today? While our whole world seems to be crumbling, we still see a lot of the so-called religious folks spending gobs of time and money on looking faithful rather than actually being faithful. There seems to be an endless supply of Christians available to latch on to the current situation in order to advance their personal agendas but a thin trickle of people who seek to care for God's people in even the most basic and simple ways. They say that belief in God is at an all-time low in our society. We are told that the number of people who claim no religious affiliation are growing at an incredible pace. In the wake of the pandemic and other social issues, we hear and see churches shrinking on the vine, even as some still pride themselves on the ability to influence politicians and judges to force their wishes on others. 
Much like those internet memes we've moved beyond, faith seems to be rapidly wearing out its welcome. In the face of all that's going on, it seems fair to ask the same question God does here. Who asked for that? In Isaiah, God is directly telling us to learn to do good, seek justice, rescue the oppressed, feed the orphan, and plea for the widow. We don't see God asking for better worship services, more flash, slicker presentations, or more glory. And whose glory are we really celebrating anyway? Things are bad and will continue to get bad because people forgot who God called them to be. I'm not saying that all the things that plague us this day would somehow vanish if we could learn to be the kind of people who God wants us to be, but I am saying that if we could do that, it would likely be a good start. With all those things swirling around that challenge us, are we going to learn to do good? Or is our faith just going to be another one of those annoying memes that everybody has long since discarded? Those are some thoughts about Isaiah. You've left us speechless, David. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I don't know if there's anything else to say. I know. <laughs> it's so annoying. <laughs> I, well, one thing I'd like to point out, as I thought about putting this in here and have it, is that there are at least two other places in what we call the minor prophets where the prophet says almost the same thing. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and we yeah. don't hear that. Amos and Micah both have passages that say yeah. pretty much the same thing. So this is not a one-off, you know, yeah. where Isaiah is just right. saying something that God feels is... They've been told this, you know. And so I can see where Isaiah, the language that's used, is a lot more aggressive than you might think. You know, we're talking about giving someone a beating and we're, yeah. we're talking about who asked you for this yeah you know it sounds like we've told you twice already and you're still not listening so we've had it <laughs> i'm yeah. pulling the car over pretty much yes so, <laughs> so what we're to pick out from this is that the the book of isaiah this first part the story of isaiah isaiah the actual prophet in a historical moment all that stuff is much much more than simply singing Handel's Messiah. A little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So all the wonderful counselor, mighty God, beautiful stuff. When we think, oh, that came from Isaiah. There's a bigger thing here. And I remember reading somewhere or hearing someone say, and I was probably in college, that, um, you know, we, we tend to think of prophets as people like who, like fortune tellers, right? Who sit around and say, hmm, this is going to happen. Yeah. But a prophet is actually someone who pays attention, understands history, pays attention to uh, the market, pays attention to history, pays attention to religion, pays attention to politics, knows history, sees where we are, uh, and, and then puts things together, puts patterns together, and can say, hey, these, this is what's coming if we don't change. Mm -hmm. And uh, says, this is what you know, God has called us to do this, and we've done that, and, and we're going to destroy ourselves if we don't change our ways. Fascinating stuff. Isaiah is one of those prophets. And one of this, this early section deals with the idea that, hey, this wonderful thing that we've called the Israelite people, we're going to collapse. We've already broken into two kingdoms at this point, north and south. Mm -hmm. Imagine that. Anyway, North and South. But so they're already broken into two kingdoms at this point. But hey, other kingdoms are coming in. God's letting go of the rails and they're going to just tear us all apart. 
because this is not what God wanted for us, and it's our fault. This is the kind of stuff that Isaiah is saying. And isn't it interesting? You raised a great point when you first started. It's interesting that we don't want to talk about that Isaiah. We want to jump into the Christmas story Isaiah. Because we love... We don't want to talk about that one. It's, it's like Will Ferrell, right? We love the baby Jesus. Yeah. So <laughs> if we can tie it to baby Jesus, that's all we need to know. Yeah, we don't need... But just like the people back then, we don't really want to hear what God's saying even now. Well, and, and I think wait, we wait, have wait, wait, wait. With respect to our Jewish friends and and uh, for whom this is their scripture, uh, you know, they don't necessarily believe he was talking specifically about Jesus. So, yes. Anyway, but this is a corporate issue, right? Yes, this is a community right. issue. So again, we are we are raised in in Christian America often to read scripture individualistically. And this, this is another one of those places where we're reminded that God's paying attention to what we do as a culture, as a society, uh, how things are structured, and that, that God cares about that and pays attention and has expectations around that. Am I wrong? No, but you, you mentioned Christian America, which made me think of the great um, alternative Christian band, Dead Artist Syndrome. They had an incredible, powerful song called Christian America and Google it if you're brave, but don't Google it if you're not. Okay. Okay. David Adams knows what I'm talking about. And as the, the, the late great, uh, Brian Healy was the leader of dead artist syndrome. He says, I just love Jesus too much to let him leave him alone with all these people who claim to do Jesus stuff, making money in politics and all this stuff. But sounds yeah. kind of like Isaiah, except for the Jesus part. Okay. So this conversation is great. It, feels a little like we're jumping all around, but sometimes that's what we do. Okay. So I'm going to ask a question. I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure exactly where this is going. So y'all jump on if it's actually going somewhere. Bert, I love that you brought up and reminded us what a prophet is, that a prophet is not a fortune teller, but someone who reads the times, right? Like not our times, but yeah. like the times in which they live and can then surmise or speak to what is going to happen if you don't change your ways, right? So like on a very simplified version, like I can tell my son, if you touch that hot eye, you are going to burn your hand. That is the consequences of touching the hot eye, right? So that is the work of the prophets. And so I'm sitting here thinking about, because, you know, we have this bigger understanding of what was going on in the world around Judah at the time. We know that the Assyrians, that one of the reasons that the um, Judeans were able to experience so much prosperity um, at this particular time was because most of the other nations around them were involved with one another. They were not coming after um, Judah at that time. But we also know that the Assyrians are gearing up, right? They are kind of coming to power and eventually they begin to take over all of the different nations around Judah. And then eventually um, they take Israel in the north and they don't get Judah, but they, they make it where then Babylon can come in and do that. And so if the Israelites at the time had actually changed their ways and done something different, do we think those that would have come after them would have stopped? Well, it's not quite that simple, but it is that simple. I don't 
think that they would have stopped per se, but I think they would have been more reassisted because if you look at this big sweep of history and how people work, our sociologist right, can explain right. this. Yes. Our sociologist person can explain this. Yes. But typically these invasions weren't just a big army comes in, takes everything, blows stuff up, breaks down your walls. It's culturally. You know, their right. culture impinges, their gods impinge upon you. People get to where they like the way this kingdom does things better than the way our kingdom does things. Mm -hmm. And so if you fall away from worshiping as being God, you fall away from unity and faith, you fall away from the ethical core of what your faith teaches, you are ripe for the picking for any culture that wants to come along and take you over. Yes. Yes. That's good. You know, what's the, what's the, what's the expression, those who don't know history are condemned to repeat it? Yes. Prophets know history mm -hmm. and they can, they're telling us we've, we've seen this before, right? That's what prophets do. And that's what Isaiah is doing. We've seen this before. We know what's going to happen and nobody so, seems to care about their history. So David, at the beginning of your after journey, um, but the rest of your introduction um, at the beginning, you talked about how what's happening in Isaiah at this time really does kind of mirror uh, where we are right now. And I agree completely. Like, I think that um, the words of Isaiah have a lot to say to us because we are in a very similar situation to what Judah was in at this time. So how can we change history? Like, seriously, what, what do we do? Yeah, and this is a good question to be asking ourselves. Oh, Bert was about to say something. No, no, I was just saying, Bert. Okay, I was just saying, listen to the darn prophets, but we we, yes. we never will, right? I mean, no. we're all sitting here um, with everybody across the world is fussing about hundred degree temperatures everywhere, and I grew up with this in New Orleans, but it's hotter New Orleans than it was when I was growing up in New Orleans. So, you know, everybody's complaining about this is like, why, why, why? Well, people have been telling us for 50 to 60 years that mm -hmm. our, our consumption and our coal and our waste and all the pollution is going to cause global warming. It's going to cause climate change. We're seeing this and, and they're telling us these things. And we've got data knowing that that certain industries knew what they were doing was going to cause problems back in the late 60s and early 70s. And they paid to keep the, keep this information quiet, right? We So now we're all like, why did this happen? It's like the prophets were telling us this 50 and 60 years ago. Yeah. Prophets mm -hmm. were telling us this 20 years ago. Prophets are still telling us this, that if we don't mm -hmm. change now, we're, we're, we're going to cross this bridge of, what, what is the, reach that point of no return. You know, mm -hmm. we can't make it better anymore. So it, this is that kind of stuff. And I think this is the kind of frantic uh, that Isaiah has. Um, you know, sooner or later, God's just going to, what can God, the great uh, theologian, um, Frank Tupper, I believe it was, said, God can do what God can do. All right. And that the, there's a point that we, we're going to just live with this huge mess that we're creating and opening up this well of damnation that's coming our way, as Isaiah was saying to his people. But it, it still leads to the, the same thing that we we're saying about the Israelites. You're wondering, okay, global warming and all the things that are happening. Well, what would global warming be like had people's hearts been changed? Had, had they actually had faith in the public sphere mm -hmm. to where they made other people more important than themselves? They lived for the community. They did what they needed to do. If churches had done their job, 
had right. we don't we were supposed to do we would have had people who were more concerned and keep so many of these tragedies from happening or at least not make them so bad when they did mm -hmm. But instead of doing our job, we, what we'll do is go out and try to buy ourselves a couple of politicians, and then they can get themselves a court someplace, and they can force what they believe on top of us rather than just actually doing our job. And yet, the the, the at least this the whole first part of first Isaiah, because Isaiah can be split up into different sections because it covers over right. two hundred years, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but this first part is this idea: doggone it, y'all are horrible sinners. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but it's true. It's true. But God will still forgive you. There's there's still a chance to fix this, and and I think that's, you know, that's what we got to hold hope, hope for now. That no matter how bad it is, there's still a chance with God's grace to fix this mess that we've created. Yeah, and this passage even ends with God saying, "Hey, come let's let's talk about this." Said so you got some yeah. problems. But let's let's still have this conversation. Let's let's not just cut it off here because God's angry, you know. But still, we do not do a good job. It's interesting because people will talk a lot about the gap between oh progressives and fundamentalists, or conservatives and liberal, and how well okay. There's other group over here where they preach the gospel all the time in a way that these other people don't because they're too busy being social or whatever. But they have to understand that these social things, these group things that change the world and make things happen, they're derived from a rich vein of morality you know, that comes from coming back to God and being what God has called you to be. It's, it's not one of those things that it's an either-or thing. A lot of people who you would say, oh, the tree-hugging, whatever, well, you're hugging that tree because God loves that tree, you know, and God loves you, and it's part of loving God back. Mm-hmm. And, and we frequently just wipe this away and, and we separate different groups of believers and say, oh, you believe this one thing categorically and you believe that other thing. It's really hard to help people understand that sometimes the very most progressive believers are the ones who are that way because they are trying to get us back to the basics of you know, love of God and how that pulls us forward, how that helps us progress as people into what God wants us to be. You just don't express that very well. Well, if we could jump, can I can I jump into the New Testament? Yeah, you know, Paul, for all of Paul's faults, and and Nikki, we're not going to open that door right now. But um, all right, <laughs> for all of Paul's faults, and there are faults, right? With Paul, Paul keeps coming back to this idea that it's bigger than me. It's bigger than Paul. It's bigger than us, and and at least attributed to Paul, I believe it's in Galatians or in Colossians. One of those shuns says. Oh, it may be in both. Christ is all. Christ is all. And Christ is in all. And part of that flowing is what David is saying is from hugging a tree to caring for the least of these, as Jesus puts it, caring for my enemies on the other side of the national border, caring for my enemies on the economic divide that that I'm benefiting from because, you know, um, because of my oppression of them, child labor, things like that. When we begin to see Christ as all in all, when we begin to see in the Jewish tradition, the image, the likeness of God in all people, that's what it under, that's the undercurrent. When David, when you talk about justice, when you talk about social justice and doing, that's the undercurrent of all. It's, it's not a, well, I believe you have to do this, is simply saying what we do to others, we're doing to ourselves. What we're doing to others, we're doing to God. Mm -hmm. 
and what we don't do to others, we are refraining to do to Christ, and we're not doing to God, and we're not doing for ourselves. Yeah, and you have to imagine how many of our problems would be solved if we could work that out. Maybe all of them. Probably all of them. Well, earlier, Bert um, referenced that this is not the only passage in the Old Testament, I mean, even among the prophets, that that gives us a similar message. So I'd like to close with a portion of uh, Micah chapter 6. And, and I, I would hope we would listen for the similarities, but in particular, the portion I'm reading, I think, sets up this, this conversation we've been starting here today about, so what do we do to try to make this right? What do we true do to try to do better? So here's, here's what, what we read in Micah 6, starting with verse 3. O oh, my people, what have I done to you? In what have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery, and I sent you before Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Jumping to verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with tens of thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And then in verse 8, He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. May we, not just as individuals, but work to build a culture, a society, a world where we work to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with our God. Thank you all for this good conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Subscribe to the Faith Element Podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Learn more about our Faith Element Bible Study curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.